welcome when I arrived here. I went to the uh, lovely Monteleone Museum uh, Hotel and there I saw some OP uh, panels in the entrance, very pretty, and my room had two OP chandeliers. So <laughs> I immediately felt great, grateful to the historic uh, New Orleans collection for inviting me, of course, and for putting me up in a hotel that had being decorated in the style of my talk, so that's uh, always a pleasure. Um, this uh, subject is indeed as timely as it was at the time of Napoleon. And the particular period we're speaking of is uh, pivotal for Louisiana, of course, since with the Louisiana Purchase, the um, state, or what was going to be the state, was leaving the confines of, French, of the French Empire and of French politics and policies, but it had made a decision to remain French at heart, and I think that is uh, quite uh, an important fact that Jack Pruitt, who has been so kind in organizing all this, uh, wanted us to all understand quite clearly. So let me come on to the next. Um, we should go back to what was happening at that time in France. The French went after 1789 through very, very turbulent years. And uh, there were hundreds, dozens and dozens of thousands of people who had been executed and the economy was in shambles and people were really uh, afraid of going out. And little by little, a few years later, came the Directoire, a Roman name that was still quite shaky and there were still several coups, but the Directoire gave a sense of stability over the, these four or five years that was very helpful and people started going out much more. And here we see a view of the Galerie du Palais Royal, which was a, really a social place for gathering at that time. People could go out and see posters and flaunt their new uh, fashions and talk to each other, which they had not been allowed to, and been so afraid to do in the meantime during the terror. And after the death of Robespierre, then things ca came uh, much more easily to them. And... Uh, we have these people here who are dressed as the incroyable and the merveilleuse, these two greater fashion trends that came after the revolution when people felt so much freer and all the young people dressed in extravagant manners and with men, with, for instance, with very high collars, uh, men, ladies with very thin uh, dresses and low cut. And we also have people who are still dressed in the uh, earlier styles. But this was an important gathering space where there were posters announcing political meetings because all the, the politics, of course, were still very, very interesting to everyone that was um, living in Paris. And the same thing was happening on a lesser scale in the provinces, too. The Jardin des Tuileries was called the first salon reopened at that time because Families were uh, coming out again, having talks, gathering, playing cards, and there were also many um, balls going on, and the waltz was all the rage at that time. And foreigners who came to uh, France at that time were just amazed at how wonderfully cheerful Paris was suddenly after all these years of terror and of uh, being closed in. And the, there were, at a time, 600 balls from which some, the Parisians could choose to go to. And many of them were opened on the gardens of the former um, 
nobility who either had fled or had been guillotined, and the Jardin de Tivoli is one of them, Bagatelle is another one, uh, the Jardin, uh, Parc Monceau is another one, where people would go out and see, have concerts and waltzes and dances and families. And here we see, or we can see very clearly, that the fashion, we saw yesterday how the fashion in this very nice talk, how the fashion had been so constricted uh, at the time of Marie Antoinette, and had started loosening, loosening up, loosening up uh, with the chemise. And here, it's even much freer, and gives um, a sense of freedom to women who had been in corsets um, for, for so long. And a new society uh, was developing also, a society of uh, businessmen, of um, financiers, or even speculators, who had made fortunes in during the, uh, the wars of the post-revolutionary period when they were selling grains to the armies, for instance, or they made fortunes on the sale of the biens nationaux, which were the properties belonging to the church and to the uh, aristocracy, which were unfortunately, oops, sorry, unfortunately sold off um, at a great rate. And at that time, in fact, the English, who realized what was happening, uh, came over uh, to France and bought a lot of antiques and whole, whole windows and whole pieces of um, architecture that they took back to England, and of course furniture. And as you know, the furniture of Versailles and so many other palaces was auctioned off, and the palaces remained empty, virtually just bare to their architecture. And um, so this was a uh, république bourgeoise, in a sense, that was uh, developing. And it was a rebirth of social life. And in, it, in this particular image, we see both, uh, we see a mixture of the older styles, people still with uh, wigs, but also the newer styles. We also, unfortunately, it is cut off to the right, but uh, you see, for instance, the, 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 la the clock there, or the argon lamps as sconces. This is a new way of lighting the homes. Or the lamp bouillotte on the table. These are new elements that came about at that time. And uh, you see also the wall. It is probably wallpaper, although it is there to imitate fabric. Uh, but the wallpaper is something that we can see here even in uh, New Orleans, where in the... Um, Herman Grimmer house on the second floor, there is a bedroom that is all, um, cut, all hung with wallpaper. Later, of course, but it does come from that idea of uh, imitating um, fabrics in the, um, on, the, on the walls, to drape the walls. Another place that people love to go were restaurants. This is the Le Grand Véfour, which you might know in the northern part of the upper part of the Galerie du Palais Royal, a very beautiful restaurant where I'm sure some of you have gone. And um, it is very much uh, decorated in that style. And you see the uh, rosettes and the uh, garlands and all the motifs, which here again you might say, oh, but this is Louis Serres. But we must consider that there is no, because the revolution came on the 14th of July, 1789, of course, things didn't change immediately. And people who were working during uh, the time of the Ancien Régime, the Louis Serres, went on working. The guilds were, um, how, do you, how would you say, they were cancelled. The guilds, because they were sort of a, a state and royal uh, privilege that they were giving. So anything to do with rules, the academies came back later. But anyway, the rules were uh, cancelled for, for quite a while. But people did go on working in the same style. So it is a very slow evolution between Louis XVI's Directoire, Consular, Empire. I mean, slow, not really, because it happened within 10 or 10 years, but still uh, a, a, a soft evolution between both. Here, for instance, the, the chair you see in the foreground has that lozenge, which is not Louis XVI's. It's a really particular, or it might have happened, but it's a particular directoire uh, feature, that pretty little lozenge. Um, another reason that um, the 
French or Parisians or foreigners who came to Paris liked to go to restaurants as a social uh, gathering place, but also uh, there were so many cooks on the market because they're all the cooks who had worked for uh, the nobility were out of work. So many of them opened little restaurants, good restaurants, less good restaurants, popular uh, in popular neighborhoods, in fancy neighborhoods. So there were many, many new kinds, and this was the first time that people were going out um, to a restaurant, not because they were stopping at an inn because they were traveling, but because they wanted to go out to a restaurant, to a good restaurant. And French cuisine, which was already um, well-known, became even better known because some of the well-known uh, cooks were developing their own um, cards, their own uh, menus. And when uh, people went out, they also could go to these uh, galleries, which one would now call a... Um, a shopping uh, alley, maybe, but uh, this is Le Passage des Panoramas in 1807, and it is, uh, there are still, again, just north of the Palais Royal, there are still one or two, two or three, maybe, of these galleries, one being the Galerie Colbert, which I know some of you are acquainted with, and so this developed, um, they, some of them were covered, most of them were covered here, but you also see that these buildings on both sides could be of a new kind, buildings that were built not too expensively and not uh, really luxurious buildings, but they were built to be rented out. So this is a sort of a new sort of uh, real estate uh, venture in which some people are going. And then, of course, they would open shops in the bottom. And they, um, it was a time where you see this lady setting up her umbrella as a... Uh, in, in her shop. So all these are new elements that are coming um, into, social, into the life of the, of, the, of the time. Now, Bonaparte, of course, uh, came very fast in, onto the scene. He was a 26-year-old uh, general who had won with astounding speed some battles, in uh, famous battles in the campagne d'Italie, which was mandated by the uh, Directoire at the time. He was a conqueror, but in all the places he went to later as, uh, as, uh, as, as an emperor, he was also uh, had felt he had a civilizing mission, particularly in Egypt, for instance, or even when he went to uh, Western, um, to, uh, to Central Europe or to Germany. He still wanted to bring the Code Napoleon and all these things that he thought were civilizing. We must remember that he was 26 at this time, which is extremely young, but he had been brought up with the ideas of the Enlightenment, the, uh, the philosophe. So he knew, he was aware of everything that was uh, in, on people's mind, and he was thinking like a, a, a young man at the time. And he uh, came, the Campagne d'Italie, of course, was, uh, brought him to, to fame, and as always, he was going to be very careful of all the reports, military reports that were uh, published at that time, and that was going to enhance his, his fame. Um, the French, of course, were not the only ones. The uh, Grand Tour uh, brought the whole of Europe, from Sweden to England, to everyone was coming to uh, visit uh, Italy at that time. Why at that time? Well, because in the middle of the 18th century, around 1750s and 60s, they had discovered Pompeii and Herculaneum. And this was totally new to them because they, everyone knew the forum, the Roman forum, but they did not know exactly uh, how people lived, not the, the emperors, but how people lived. And Herculaneum and uh, Pompeii were showing them how everyday people lived in, a, in that time and all these new little uh, decorations and uh, elements that they were not aware of. So this here, for instance, uh, Charming uh, Ruins by Clérisseau uh, is the sort of thing that artists who went over would paint. Sometimes they would just go around and paint little on their sketchbooks. They would have, the architects would go with sketchbooks and fill them with details of uh, acanthus leaves or anthemium or, uh, or all these uh, details that they would bring back uh, and have made into books. Uh, others made paintings like this, and pastoral, rom uh, almost romantic uh, views. And Clérisseau 
is, as we heard <coughs> yesterday, was a friend of uh, Thomas Jefferson, and he was the sort of the scout for Thomas. He, he took uh, Thomas Jefferson around Rome, and their friendship um, increased at that time. And another reason, too, that uh, Napoleon was so interested in Europe, in Italy, sorry, is that he was coming out of nowhere. He was this young general that no one knew coming out of Corsica, and with a very strong Corsican accent, he, which he kept in, Fren in, Fran in French. And um, he was going to establish an empire. Well, what was his leg legitimacy? He needed some symbols that showed that he was linked to, for instance, the Merovingians. He took the bees from the Mer Merovingian tombs. He took symbols from a famous uh, Western empire, the Roman Empire. So all this was helping him establish his legitimacy, in a sense. People who went to these places could find in uh, Pompeii, for instance, uh, a table like this, and you will notice that these uh, animal features here, or the hawks here, are going to be taken and used very much in furniture later. Notice also uh, the marbles here, which we will see a little later, again. And at that time, this is, belongs to the Louvre, and I, uh, this is a Greek stella. And at that time, there was no science at all of the period. That is, that people would say, à la grecque, or à l'étrusque, or uh, à l'égyptienne, and they, they didn't know, no, no, no scientific studies had been made of what was uh, really Greek, what was Sicilian, what was Etruscan. So all these terms were used rather uh, broadly and loosely. And here I, we will see chairs with this rounded back here, well, a little like this chair here, and uh, splayed uh, saber legs, which is, and of course, this um, dress, uh, very uh, uh, thin uh, fabric, is going to be quite influential too. Sorry. Um, this again, we, we find these uh, legs again, and this is, we're moving from the simplicity of the directoire towards the consular. The uh, directoire, we can, one can consider that the directoire style is a little like Louis XVI, but much simpler, because there were no uh, imported uh, woods, no um, mahogany was imported at that time, and uh, there were no bronze, people couldn't afford bronzes, so whatever furniture was made during that time was maybe painted wood, uh, white, with outlined with grey, pale grey, so it was elegant, and I particularly like the directoire, but very, very simple. And then, with these discoveries, came much more sculptural and uh, bold figures in the consular. So a chair like this is probably quite consular in the sense that it has this strong arm stump in the, uh, either in the shape of a later an Egyptian head or a chimera or, uh, or a strange animal. And uh, it obviously has this, uh, it must be for a man, or a military uh, uh, trophies there show that it would probably be a desk uh, for a man, and you see how richly it is um, decorated here on the back. Some of them swivel too. Some chairs like this can be more comfortable if they swivel. When Napoleon came to power, he found palaces that had been really stripped bare by the sales, the revolution, the, um, the turmoil. And uh, he had to begin again uh, refurbishing many of the palaces. He didn't build very much, but he refurbished a lot. He was quite economical and always wanted to reuse what could be reused. This is the spectacular library in Compiègne, where we see that uh, all these uh, friezes, the themes here, are very much taken from antiquity. All these numerous... Uh, eggs and darts and freezers and palmettes and uh, leaves here, and all these, and the uh, scrolls, all this is very much in the vocabulary that he is going to develop throughout the palaces, 
in mostly in uh, Compiègne, a little bit in the uh, Grand Trianon, and in Fontainebleau. And uh, he read a tremendous amount. He, uh, it was a time when you could purchase almost everything that was uh, published. And he, every time he went on, on to the battlefield, for instance, he would take uh, trunks of uh, uh, books. And uh, in Malmaison, which is on the cover of um, the book in the entrance, is, uh, has also a beautiful um, library. And this is something that he um, was very intent upon uh, having in all places where he had uh, residence. And the same kind of decoration could be found also in private uh, homes. And private or um, at least part of the uh, Bonaparte family. So he... Uh, first of all, Nap Napoleon commissioned a lot of the manufacturers that had been um, almost going out of business, as we saw yesterday, for instance, with porcelain. Uh, Serve uh, suffered a huge amount because most of its patrons had disappeared, or the aristocracy was abroad or dead. And so Napoleon gave a lot of work to the manufacturers. He also gave work to the soyeux de Lyon, meaning the silk factories in Lyon, which had been there forever and uh, had no work left. Uh, and the, his family, when he um, started gave, giving out uh, honours or palaces to his family, they did the same thing. And they ordered a lot from uh, not only the manufacturers, but people like Guillaume Benemann, the Frère Jacob, the Jacob brothers, who worked a lot at that time, Bernard Molitor, Adam Vazveler. You might think that all these are Louis Serre's uh, ebeniste, and indeed they are. They just went on working for him at that time. And uh, these, what we saw earlier in the desk chair, we find again here, sorry, in arm stumps. Um, you see here, we have... Uh, sometimes delicate uh, Egyptian uh, figures here, or we have birds, or we have griffins here. All these are the <coughs> um, <coughs> animals that can be in uh, clocks, or in uh, andirons, or in the, cons in the um, sands of consoles or of tables. And this is the Hotel de Charo, on the just next to the Élysée Palace which was, for a while, the property of Pauline Bonaparte and Pauline Bonaparte Borghese. And uh, she is the one who um, later went to um, Italy, but she was very, very interested in what was happening in the arts. And she had her um, uh, salon here. The, this is one of the salons. This now belongs, is now the British Embassy in, uh, in, in Paris. And she had it lavishly uh, redecorated and commissioned a lot of work from all these artists. And uh, he also gave uh, some of the existing palaces to uh, the uh, Beauharnais family. So there was Josephine de Beauharnais, and she had two children, Hortense and um, and uh, her son, uh, Alexandre was her husband. And then the Hotel de Boarnay, which is now the uh, German embassy, is certainly the most beautiful example of French empire furniture and decoration that one can see. This is a bathroom, and uh, you remember the floor we saw in Pompeii, and this is here again exactly the same inspiration for the floor. And we have here uh, 18 columns in this bathroom that are painted to resemble uh, marble. So if you couldn't uh, do, have the marble exactly, you could also paint it. And the uh, bathtub is lined in um, copper. At that time, there were not very many uh, bathrooms in France. Uh, and it was uh, not for quite a few decades that water was uh, in normal fluid uh, supply in flowing supply in Paris, and this is, of course, quite an exception in um, the time. Napoleon wanted all his palaces to be uh, splendid, f 
for several reasons, because he wanted to give work to the artisans and to the manufacturers, certainly, but he also wanted it to represent uh, the glory of his empire. And the Hôtel de Boarnay, which we will see again, is uh, a perfect example of that. So are the Grand Trianon, Compiègne, and some rooms in Fontainebleau. But for himself, he preferred something simple. This is his bedroom in the Grand Trianon. We might not think that it's totally simple in our, own, uh, in, in our own taste, but for him it was simple. And there are little notes, for instance, in the books of the artisans saying, c'est pour l'ampleur, c'est pour l'empereur, faites simple. Uh, it has to be uh, simple for, for, for him. Uh, this, for instance, the uh, bedstand here is not overloaded with, uh, it, with uh, gilding. It is just uh, a nice pane of uh, mahogany <laughs> and a few bronzes. And you notice that his uh, bed is painted white, no uh, mahogany or extravagant uh, bronzes. It still has a slight Louis XVI shape, but it has a directoire detail here which are the um, arrows bound. That's quite a, quite a detail. And um, this here is typical of what was happening at that time, and it is simple compared to some of the uh, other ones. And this is called a lilac and silver uh, soiree, which was developed in uh, a brocade, which was developed by Camille Pernon, in, um, in Lyon, and Camille Pernon wove a lot, a lot of uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, yards of uh, fabric, and they still exist in, um, they still weave in, uh, in Lyon. They still have a few um, uh, hand looms, but they have a lot of uh, mechanical looms, of course, now, and they weave about this much a day, so it's very, uh, still very, very precious. Another um, decorative theme that was very much used at the time, well not very much, but it was pleasant, very pleasantly used at the time, was the tent, the military tent, which came from the military campaigns, but it was also an easy and fast way of developing a, um, an interior decor. And the Malmaison, for instance, you went into Malmaison through one of his one of these tents. Then the Salle du Conseil in Malmaison also had a tent, and this belongs to Hortense de Beauharnais, Josephine's daughter, and uh, has a, this is what she did later after the empire when she went to Switzerland and was exiled in Switzerland. And I would like you to notice the rounded shape of these <coughs> chairs here, which we will see later, and also this little sofa, which is quite um, typical, and the gazy door. Josephine uh, was, as we were just reminded, a uh, Creole and from the West Indies, and uh, she had uh, a lot, quite an influence on uh, French uh, politics and decorative arts at the time. Because we think of the uh, Empire as a very masculine time with uh, these conquering armies and flamboyant uh, horsemen, and uh, the women also had an interesting uh, role in, by the influential salons and by all the commissions they gave. Uh, Josephine had a uh, languid creole at, uh, behavior which was very uh, pleasing to everyone. She was a wonderful hostess and she was also quite instrumental in bringing the two societies together. Um, there was the Ancien Régime which was, had been half destroyed and they kept in hiding even after the consular and the empire began. They didn't really want to or dare to come out, and Napoleon didn't, was, wasn't really looking for the old uh, aristocrats to uh, come back into his uh, circle. But uh, Josephine de Beauharnais was from the uh, nobility in the West Indies, and she had made many friends in prison while she was in prison during the terror. And uh, she went on with these uh, people when uh, she came out. And she was quite a link. So she slowly brought all these people back. And the new businessmen often married people, uh, women from the uh, former Ancien Regime uh, circles. And she also knew a lot what was happening because she was so pleasant, she heard a lot. So she would take long walks in Malmaison where she is painted here by Proudhon. And they would talk for hours on end. And he learned a lot from her because she was um, 
she was uh, quite attuned to what was, what was happening. She was also, um, by the way, Napole Napoleon could walk for hours and hours without uh, complaining, and his aides were running behind him and, and complaining that he was uh, walking so fast and so long. And um, she was, as we just learned in this very nice talk, she was very interested in botany, and she had, uh, every time a sailor, an ambassador, or... Um, was going to uh, the other end of the world. She would have them bring back plants. She had contacts with uh, botanists in Russia, in Australia, in uh, Brazil. So she brought all, all sorts of plants to uh, Malmaison. She had 800 plants sent to her from Schönbrunn, um, hydrangeas, camellias, uh, cedars from Lebanon, lilies from the Nile, roses from Syria, and um, Godoy, the infamous uh, minister of the Spanish uh, king, uh, sent her 200 Merinos uh, sheep to, for, for uh, Malmaison again, because uh, here again, the French have always tried to develop new uh, species of uh, plants, but also uh, in, the, uh, in the animal uh, uh, realm too. This is the, again the Hotel Beauharnais, the uh, room of her daughter, which as you can see is much more lavish than what we saw in uh, Napoleon's bedroom. And we have this here, these here, which are uh, symbols of the sleep, these beautiful uh, mahogany columns, and covered in great part here by gilded bronze. One of her favorite themes was the uh, swan here, which is um, in a rather strict uh, empire shape with a crest here all the silks from Lyon, there's a uh, sculpture on the mantelpiece which is outside the screen for some reason, um, and all these gilding, gilded uh, mounts were extremely uh, important as models all over the world. And this is in the Élysée Palace, the uh, Salon d'Argent, which again is uh, beautifully uh, decorated here and with these uh, swans. And, sorry, uh, she was also influential in bringing botany and flowers into silks, like these silks from uh, Lyon. And this is in Compiègne. Notice the beautiful parquet and the rather stiff uh, seating. As the years went by, and especially after Josephine was repudiated and Marie-Louise came, although it was not Marie-Louise's uh, fault at all. But Napoleon became much more strict on the etiquette, and the, the, every, the court life became much more uh, rigorous and uh, timed, and he disliked, uh, personally, he disliked um, functions very much, but he wanted them to happen, and he wanted people to get together and come to them. So this is the salon, a little more intimate salon de Marie-Louise in Compiègne, with these uh, pretty colors. Some of the uh, um, stools are often embroidered by ladies who were, of the court who were embroidering together while they were uh, chatting, and uh, notice the stool here, which is a particular... Uh, shape, and other stools are, on the contrary, with rounded shapes. I was saying that uh, there were not very many bathrooms. This is Josephine's uh, boudoir in uh, the Grand Trianon, and it uh, has, you see, this little uh, ewer and uh, basin, and it is made of uh, um, ash at a time when mahogany could not come because of the continental blockade. So there were lots of local woods that were used at that time. That Notice also this very uh, pretty, uh, rounded, comfortable gondole uh, chair, the Siche uh, Psyche in the back. Another very uh, famous uh, lady of the time was Madame Recamier, Juliette Recamier, and she again had a salon that was extremely influential in, um, <coughs> in Paris. And here we see her with a... Uh, scarf and on, seated on what might be Jacob furniture because Jacob in his studio and in, in his um, made a lot of furniture for David's and Gerard's studio, the painters. And she was well known as far as Russia and all over Europe and England uh, to uh, have these wonderful gatherings. And she again was bringing people together, lots of literary people, uh, musical people, uh, scientists, and all this was 
quite important in the uh, Parisian life. We see her also with a cashmere scarf, and the uh, soldiers coming back from Egypt have brought these beautiful cashmere uh, shawls from uh, Egypt, and uh, later Napoleon uh, forbade that they were be imported because they were so expensive. But even Josephine was able to smuggle some in through her contacts because she really uh, adored wearing these. Another shawl here is worn by um, Germaine de Stal. Madame de Stal had a very, very famous salon also, and you see how her turban uh, is influenced, her headdress is influenced by the Orient too, and both uh, Madame Recanier and uh, a little less uh, <coughs> prominent uh, uh, Madame de Stal had a style of uh, dress that was uh, very particular of that period. In these uh, salons came people like the young Boyel Dieu. Boyel Dieu is a musician who is the um, composer of La Dame Blanche, which you might uh, know. And here we see him in, uh, with a rather consular uh, chair here, with a quite sculptural. And and there's a connection here, a little later, a musical connection between Paris and uh, New Orleans. Um, in the early 1840s, a young, slender, virtuoso pianist called Louis Moreau Gottschalk from New Orleans, he was only 17, and he g gave his first concert at the Salle Pleyel. It was the first solo performance by an American ever to take place in Paris, and Chopin came backstage to uh, congratulate him. Uh, people, of course, were living in very different uh, conditions from what we see in, these, in the beautiful uh, sets we've seen. And this is a family portrait where we see that people lived uh, mixing uh, a more empire stool like this with Louis XVI uh, and a more empire with uh, Louis XVI tables and a more empire uh, desk here. So this is the way people lived in a more informal manner or dressed when they came to. This is trying to cross a street under the, uh, under the rain and you see how the uh, uh, umbrella, the uh, little reticule that she is holding, the, dr the uh, light dresses, the pointed shoes all show to a very fashionable uh, family. This is a view of the uh, one of the Expositions des Produits de l'Industrie, which took place in the Louvre very regularly, and which were so important to Napoleon, who gave prizes, who instituted competitions to uh, encourage people to develop new te techniques in, the, um, in those fields. And he also wanted the, all these uh, uh, chairs to be in manufacturing products to be exported. And this, for instance, is a chair which was very much in the Empire style, which was manufactured for his son, Roi de Rome, who was just two years old at the time and was never emperor. That's why we have Napoleon I, Napoleon II, who never reigned and died very young, and Napoleon III. And this has views of Rome that he had painted on the, on the velvet. The Italian... Uh, Part of the empire was headed in Naples by uh, Joachim Murat, and by who was quite a flamboyant uh, cavalier and uh, very typical of the empire style, and by his wife, who was also very instrumental, Caroline Murat. She was very instrumental in heading the uh, empire of uh, the empire, the, the, the royaume de Naples, when her husband was away. We see her here with her children in front of the Vesuvius. And uh, she was very uh, interested in the decorative arts and in the arts, and she commissioned this famous Ingres painting uh, from um, the Odalisque. And this is, again, the dream of the Orient, that she has wearing almost the same turban as Madame de Stal, in fact. Uh, and uh, it's uh, the same dream of the Orient, which is going to uh, foster romanticism uh, in painting quite a lot. She also commissioned this, which was given to... Uh, Josephine, a beautiful cameo uh, taken, uh, sculpted out of one single shell with, as you can see, antique motifs. Pauline had her um, 
portrait, if one can call it, uh, painted by Canova. And the uh, Antonio Canova was uh, patronized by many of the Bonaparte uh, family. And you see her bed, which is exactly what we have already seen in a number of, uh, of rooms here. And this is a sort of artist that, who went over to Italy at that time. This is uh, Granet, and his, uh, he was uh, one of the painters who came back with all these different uh, sketches. And we, he was staying at the Villa Medicis, where he had uh, got the Prix de Rome, as you know, is, uh, has been instituted many, many years, many uh, centuries before that. Now, Egypt, of course, was another big theme that was developing at that time, and uh, quite fanciful with these uh, ladies dancing, obelisk, uh, quite a jumble of uh, elements, the small, small sphinx, a large pyramid, a large... Uh, so here again, just to uh, give a feeling of what was happening, even if it definitely was not uh, accurate. And the... Um, uh, plates, the Serre, had a particularly beautiful sets made with the Egyptian theme. And uh, uh, Empire Porcelain is not really that um, famous, it's not as famous as the 18th century, but it is also very beautiful. It has very often, you see dark, either dark maroon or dark blue uh, rims here with symbols of hieroglyphs that are ne not necessarily saying a sentence, but they are real hieroglyphs. And here, this is a, a mosque that, uh, and when he was in exile in, um, in Saint-Hélène, some of these plates had gone to Saint-Hélène with Napoleon, and he would take them out very carefully and look at them and put them back, and it was his way of seeing what his empire had been. Some toiles de Jouy were also made in this theme, and this was a particular... Uh, important uh, endeavor for him to create l'Institut d'Egypte and we just saw uh, the custom house in, uh, in New Orleans. Uh, all these many Egyptian uh, churches are uh, around also, Egyptian side churches. So all these are themes that were developed uh, in um, oh here we only see half of this. These are, uh, this was, uh, these are mummy heads and there was one in the collection of Josephine and we People just didn't realize how important the, the science was at that time. They had mummy parties, which meant that they would bring a, bring a mummy, and in front of everyone they would have it unbandaged and, and, and discover what it was. So it's quite a... Um, people didn't realize how important a discovery was until all the Egyptology was developed uh, after the Institut d'Egypte. And, of course, the... Uh, a theme of the Orient is going to open the way to uh, Romanticism, and this is uh, La Mort de Saint Bonaparte by Delacroix, 1927, 1827. But it is the same sort of uh, Oriental uh, dream that comes out of all these themes. And at that time, for instance, the young Boieldieu, which we, whom we saw, he had painted at the time of the uh, Egyptian campaign Le Calife de Baghdad. He, he composed Le Calife de Baghdad, an opera. Uh, Hector Berlioz uh, composed just of three years after this uh, cantata, I don't know why cantata, but called Sardanapal, and uh, Cleopatra also, so Hector Berlioz uh, the same. And then the empire, of course, was developing towards the east, and um, the um, Russian chairs we see here are very um, striking and important. And then uh, the influence of Serb is also important because the manufacture of porcelain of Russia, the imperial manufacture, was headed by a uh, former director of Serb. And this is a photo I took in um, Warsaw with a Russian plate, which is also, as you can see, quite close to the Serb ones. America, of course, was uh, one big theme at that time. This is, I'm giving you the exact the uh, title of this uh, wall uh, paper, Les Sauvages de la Mer du Pacifique, 1804. And um, these, this is a time when a lot of, uh, in, uh, there is a Zuber wallpaper, for instance, at Oak Hill in Natchez, and a lot of uh, papers, wallpapers were um, made at that time for entire rooms. And the, another theme that uh, Chateaubriand developed in his Atala was here recorded by, um, depicted by Giraudet in Les Funérailles d'Atala, and 
Neuchatel-Briand was very interested as well. A lot of people at that time in the Natchez and uh, other um, American um, themes. And she was a, a Christian squaw, which... The French ebenistes came over around 1800 because they had no, no more work. They, a number of them came over. Among them, the most famous is Charles Honoré Lanuyer. And the style developed in uh, America is quite different from the one developed in Italy or in Sweden or in European countries where the court was still quite close to uh, other uh, European courts. Here, it was totally different, and the American Empire style developed its own, uh, its own style in uh, much more bold, in a sense. And we can see, for instance, this is, uh, look at the uh, feet, the uh, eagle, the head. All this is taken from the Egyptian or Etruscan themes, as are some of the splayed legs here, like we saw in the Greek stella. The Americans added stenciling, which was uh, quite uh, recognizable at that, and Hitchcock kind of uh, stenciling, which was applied to uh, empire shapes. And here we have a miniature, um, which is uh, in the uh, Chicago Museum, of a South Carolina interior. And there's some themes that are quite uh, uh, American. This empire style uh, chair, for instance, or this here, look at the very strong uh, paws here, this is very American. The white uh, marble or marbleized uh, columns is also quite American. And the American, unfortunately there's something to the right that we can't see, but all this is quite uh, strong in its uh, uh, definition of American um, style of empire. As I was saying, um, but Napoleon didn't build a huge amount because there were so many palaces that had been uh, vacated. He didn't really need to build very much. But there was some uh, civil building and commercial building. And I know someone in the audience is particularly fond of uh, De Beauvegale chocolates here. And uh, this, might, this is credited to Percier et Fontaine, the architects of, uh, of Napoleon. And uh, it's interesting that in... In uh, New Orleans, there are so many of these themes here. It's very close to uh, what are many of these houses here. This is Charter House, uh, qu uh, Quarter House. Um, in uh, New Orleans, how uh, these themes have been taken in architecture. The Napoleon House has this interior that uh, was built for uh, Napoleon, which has, again, what we just saw here, and, but American interiors, maybe because of the Spanish austere, uh, more austere um, influence, were much simpler. There were no frolicking uh, deities and, uh, or very few. We, and uh, everything was a little more simple. And you see that we have a number of uh, empire uh, shapes here, but all quite, uh, quite, quite simple and uh, not extravagant. And uh, the Louisiana State Museum, I know, has... Uh, an empire uh, quoted as empire chest by uh, Dutreuil Barjon. You must excuse my uh, Louisiana accent. <laughs> um, but uh, this is um, the um, kind of things that, or the Ormond plantation has a very simple fireplace um, like this one too. And here we have the Herman uh, Grimmer House, which has a number of features, beautiful uh, furniture. It was restored in a very uh, careful manner, looking back to archives. And, uh, and here we have these same chairs, uh, slightly different. But an uh, American RP came a little later. And it, many of the, uh, the parts of American RP developed, in fact, after the fall of Napoleon, by the time they came here. And sometimes they mingle a little into restoration. The, um, the time when after the kings, the, when the Bourbon came back. Then we have uh, a pretty console here. There's some uh, beautiful chairs, a center table, and the uh, curtains are very much in the Empire style because there were so many um, motifs that came over in pattern books from France. People would read them. Uh, here is the um, Gilmore uh, Parker House which was also um, restored in a very careful manner from the um, 
research into the inventories of the period. And um, here. here we have a view, an, an interesting sofa. Oh, yes, I, I showed you a sofa in France. You see, this is always more scrolled and a little more sculptural in American uh, uh, style. This is in the Grigson House in the Irish Channel uh, district. And a uh, very empire, uh, strong empire uh, table also. And the Ursuline uh, convent also has some, uh, and unfortunately to the right we have a prix dieu um, uh, that is, I don't know why, uh, not visible. But all this, uh, these are things that were RP uh, in the Ursuline uh, convent. The uh, governor of Mississippi uh, has an interior which was entirely refurbished uh, with uh, Empire uh, furniture, with a lot of Grecian couches, as the Americans call them, here, sc oh, scrolled backs here, and very strong paws, and these uh, very Empire kind of uh, chairs, a more simple but still Empire um, entrance. Oh yes, in the, Grim in the Herman Grimmer house there was something interesting. In the library they have lots of books in the study, and one of them is the Dictionnaire de la Conversation. And it was so interesting because conversation in the salons was so very, very interest, important in France. And here, in the, Grim the Grimmers were buying this, uh, uh, and they were buying clocks uh, similar to, very similar to one of the clocks of uh, Pauline in the Hotel de Charroux. Here we see the dolphins, which are a theme of dolphins is a little more frequent in America than it is in France. And these couches with big scrolls, and that is more like George Smith, the English um, designer, than it is um, than it is French. But it, the, the basic shape is taken from France. Here again, these uh, uh, table and empire uh, styles, which are on the verge of uh, restauration. Uh, tables, uh, stencil tables. This belongs to the Bayou collection in the Houston uh, Museum. It beautifully painted with what was at the time the Hudson River School themes that were so frequent at that time. Stenciled, uh, not real uh, gilding, but uh, beautiful. And then uh, in New Orleans, of course, there were some lots of miniaturists who would uh, come around. Uh, this was François Guillaume de Guiron a French uh, a miniaturist who, uh, so this is really tiny, uh, who would come and paint like the portrait of a gentleman and his daughter. And uh, he was one of the many French émigrés who worked here. And he lived in a number of years in New Orleans. And look at his, the chair he is seated on. That is quite uh, up here too. Uh, another uh, American uh, born in France, French miniaturist is Pierre-Henri who uh, worked in uh, New Orleans also, and uh, again, miniatures, and um, these were, uh, we can see him here in the, um, in the bottom, he, in, in the medallion that his wife is, uh, charming uh, views also of the uh, fashion of the time in New Orleans. And this is uh, why people wanted to have their portrait painted. And uh, this, even if this fashion is a little bit later, we see this charming uh, view of uh, a woman sitting. And because fashion was so very, very important at the time. And here we have a view of Josephine and his, her entourage going to Italy and being attacked uh, as they were joining Napoleon in Italy. That was the time when women used to join their husbands in the, at the, at the battlefield. And here, and Josephine, when she traveled, always traveled with trunks and trunks of uh, clothes and dresses and cashmere shawls and hats. And this was very, very instrumental in spreading the uh, fashion. And even the wives of his, Napoleon's enemies had the same couturier as she did in Paris. They came to Hippolyte Le Roy in hiding from their husbands. Uh, to uh, send them uh, fashion of the time. Hortense de Beauharnais was always beautifully dressed, and she <laughs> wears what we call uh, parure, which is, she, she had a diadem and uh, uh, earrings and uh, necklace and bracelets and uh, belt, all coordinated. 
And Madame Rivière, of course, is a typical uh, fashionable bourgeois uh, lady of, uh, of the time. And this is Elizabeth Patterson, who was um, very uh, fashionable too. She was very briefly American, very briefly married to uh, Jérôme Bonaparte, but neither family wanted that, and Napoleon cancelled uh, the, the marriage, which he went on. She dressed very, very lightly, and she had to promise to some people, guests, uh, some hostesses in Washington that she would dress more conservatively if she wanted to come to their party because she dressed so very, very lightly. And um, she, she, her, her dresses were tr so transparent that too many young men were gathering to, 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 look, to look at her. And uh, you see her, her hairdo, and uh, there were very, very different hairdos, very short at that time, and especially during the time of the Merveilleuse. There were dresses à la flore, à la Ceres, à la Galate, so we can imagine that. Uh, hair was à la Juno, so that might be a bit strict, à la Titus, but there was also hair à la Caracalla, so I can't imagine exactly what that would have been. Uh, even Madame Vigée Lebrun, the famous painter, was a merveilleuse at one time. Um, this is a uh, lady uh, of the area here, Judith Gist, who, uh, from Kentucky, and who married a Mr. Juliet, and she was, uh, uh, she was, this is a painting by Matthew Harris Jouett, who was, she married Boston, and who pen, spent a number of time, uh, very often came to uh, New Orleans, and we can see that she was dressed very fashionably also. And then uh, uh, two very well-known uh, uh, ladies, first ladies, whom we all like, and um, Dolly Madison was particularly um, instrumental in furthering uh, her husband's career, and she had she gathered many many people in parties that were called the squeezes, and because there were so many people, and she also uh, would uh, dress as fashionably as she could, and uh, both she and uh, Mrs. Monroe, uh, Elizabeth Monroe, uh, who is here painted here, she's painted by John Vanderlyn. And we had a beautiful painting of John Vanderlyn earlier in uh, Ariadne asleep on the island of Naxos, you remember? And uh, so she here she's painted, James uh, Monroe's, and James Monroe also was quite uh, instrumental in bringing French art en pire because in 1817 he uh, commissioned many, many uh, pieces for the Blue Room in the White House, uh, so from Belanger and clocks and carpets and so on. So... Um, she was also one of the wonderful promoters of Empire, and I think this is a nice uh, image to remember that uh, the French and Americans were both promoting uh, a wonderful style on both sides of the Atlantic. Thank you very much.